and welcome again to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was XTC and King for a Day, written by Colin Moulding, and this is the second part of the Strange Brew Podcast with Colin Moulding, so welcome back. This takes us from Oranges and Lemons to the latter XTC years, recent solo projects by Colin, and as promised on our first show, a pair of tracks from the new EP that he's made with Terry Chambers, as TCNI, the uh, Great Aspirations EP. Yeah. So, Colin, you went over to the States to record Oranges and Lemons, didn't you? I did, yes. Well, it was deemed that we, because we'd had success with Skylarkin and used an American producer, and then we ought to use another American producer, you know. We took all the families, the families went over there for a complete nine months, yeah. Got pretty homesick by the end of it, really. So we were in Los Angeles with the sun beating down on us, you know. And In L.A., nobody walks. If they see you walking on the pavement in 90 degrees, they think, well, you must be English, you know. <laughs> These mad dogs, you know, that come over from England and they're walking about in this heat. What's, what are they doing? They're mad. We subsequently hired a car, but for the first few days we were there, we just walked around, you know. Uh, in this blazing heat, scurried from one air conditioning unit to another, really. So we all had winter clothes, and we all had to go down to the local short shop and get some lighter, you know. But yeah, we're king for a day. We um, started working with Paul Fox. I think this was his first record. We didn't know it. um, He'd had something to do with Yes. Uh, It was never made clear what. And uh, subsequently, I think it turned out that this was... This was his first record that he's produced. But he had a very good engineer, Ed Thacker, and um, it was quite a good team. And, uh, yeah, we did six-week rehearsals down in the in the valley. And uh, and then we recorded the drum tracks at um, Ocean Way Studios, where the Beach Boys had worked. That was quite a thrill. And then uh, worked in a studio called Suma, which is on Sunset Strip. The record is more American than than the... Than our previous jaunts, I think. Um, I did this really wonderful guitar riff that fitted a number of chords. It was in a minor key, which is unusual to go over major chords. And it just had this kind of energy about it. It seemed to get Americans jumping up and down. So, um, yeah, it became a single subsequently. So it was the more American side of the band, I suppose. And Yeah, definitely different to the early days. Can I ask you about Cynical Days? Because that, that's, um, that song in particular is a really, really good production. Seem to you use that or emphasise some of that West Coast American sound? Uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I wasn't too pleased with the drum track on it. It's got this clattery kind of snare thing in the choruses, which I didn't really want. But uh, I didn't know what I wanted, to be honest. I just had the chords and the melody and the, and the words. And we just went through a number of styles of how it might be and we settled on what we got and um we got this very famous uh horn player mark isham is it yes i think he's a well-respected player in la and play the solo and uh whatnot but i think um what we really wanted is for the chords to be played on a on a hammond organ which we didn't have a hammond organ so we had to use a sample there's always these kind of little niggles that you you think, oh, that could have been better, or but you just go with what you've got. I think, you know, if we, if Terry and I ever play live, I wouldn't mind trying to do a different version of it. Something to, to aspire to, I think.
let's move on from Cynical Days to a song which I think is uh, universally, including by Andy and yourself, one of the highlights, I think, of, of your musical uh, journey. Non such, and it's Bungalow, it's evocative lyrics and, and, and sound of, of the, sort of the seaside. Uh, yeah, well, we um, the thing behind that was holidays with your parents, really, and what they aspired to. To have a bungalow by the sea was the pinnacle of of what they might have in the future. You know, they never ever got it, but it was something that they aspired to. You know, we'd take uh, caravan holidays down to places like Weymouth and South Coast, just bungalow land. Really, that was something that they they thought would you'd made it if you had a bungalow by the sea. You know, so I thought, well, I got the chords with. Um, on a kind of an organ thing that I had, a sample. And um, I thought well, it, would, it would be great if we had some sort of holiday camp band. So we made it sound as though it was kind of sing along with Uncle George on the holiday camp thing, you know. Even had the room on the drums where we thought it would sound like uh, uh, the, the clubhouse down at uh, the, one of the seaside camps. Yeah, we just wanted to create that vibe. Yeah, it's one of the more successful forays into obscure subject matter, you know. It's not single material, but it's uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. And it's it's one that's kind of discovered, I think, as as being something special in the dark, darkest recesses of nonsuch, you know. <laughs> Now to another song from uh, Nonsuch, Colin. Back to uh, that sort of militaristic theme, uh, War Dance. But I understand this is a song that the origins of it predate Nonsuch by almost a decade? Uh, they do. I re- wrote it kind of probably around the time of uh, Mummer or Big Express. Um, for the Falklands War, 
I think whenever we, whenever this country gets involved in some sort of conflict, it's that 1940s kind of uh, thing comes out, you know. Suddenly the leader is Churchill, you know. And this came out around the time of the Falklands where the, where the Fleet Street went mad, you know. It was just a way of bringing back the empire all over again, I think. And uh, I thought it was some kind of fever that was being whipped up in the country at the time. And this happens whenever we get into some sort of conflict with somebody is that a 1940s spirit comes out and uh, it's jingoistic and it's not always pleasant. <laughs> and that happened with the Gulf War, which which was around the period. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what happened that brought it to the fore for another outing uh, for Nonsuch. It was done in a slightly different fashion to the earlier incarnation. And we used some sort of sample that, that had a kind of a, I think it's a, a bass clarinet, kind of a bass clarinet sound, which gave it a very solemn world at war thing, you know, very dusty and kind of uh, a kind of, uh, you're familiar with that track, Dachau Blues by Captain Beefheart. Oh, yeah, yeah. It uses that kind of low registered, bass clarinet kind of thing it's very dark and uh, yeah it seems to suit the song I think there's an epidemic stirring passions in So from Nonsuch, there was uh, about a seven-year gap, and uh, 
understand the background behind this sort of gap was um, Andy had the idea of a, a bit of a sort of bubblegum type album, which was uh, not well received from Virgin, and 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 then kind of those financial issues and and sort of unhappiness with the label. Yes, it was. Um, Andy refers to it as our strike period, whereby we went on strike. It was something to do with packaging deductions or something, because the packing deductions were were taking a fair bit of our royalty, and then we thought, well, this is unfair, and we're not going to make another record until we can come to some agreement over this, you know. And I think in the end they got a bit fed up with us, just say, well, you're not worth that much anyway, so we'll let you go, you know. So we thought, oh, all right, let's go then, you know. And um, in 1997, we left the label after about 20 years and got into the murky world of the independent. The next two records, the Apple Venus era, was released on a little label called Cooking Vinyl, a little independent label, you know, in a kind of a profit share agreement. And we got uh, foreign licensees to stump up money so we could make the record. Yeah, so we eventually got round to making a record oh, about eight years after the last one, which was quite a gap, you know, and um, started recording at Chip and Norton, which is no longer with us, folks, unfortunately, the home of many great records. So we started making the record at Chip and Norton and uh, a couple of months doing the drum tracks before uh, moving to Deepest Kent to um, to finish the record, you know. But we never ever got to finish it actually, so we ended up finishing it at my house, <laughs> which was uh, very Joe Meek, really. <laughs> uh, Dave left by then. David left by then and said things. Were, he thought things were getting out of control, and uh, so we had a lot of songs as per usual. And and the thing was that Andy wanted to record all of them, and so we recorded all of them at vast expense, and we ended up with no money. So. We had an album which really wasn't uh, finished in any shape or form. And uh, to make matters worse, um, Hayden Bendel, who was a great engineer from our old Abbey Road days, he said, well, I can't work much more on this, fellas, because I'm running out of time and I've got another project to do. So there we were with a half-finished, all these tracks half-finished, and no money. That was one of the reasons why Dave left, I think, because he felt that financially we were getting into hock and it wasn't his fault and we should have taken more control over things and but there you go we weren't uh we were masters of our own destiny and uh <clears throat> you've got to take these things into account somebody needs to be the the treasurer you know so um andy and i put our own money in to finish the record really and we finished it up at my place we bought some gear and began uh, re uh, recording with um, Nick Davis, who finished the first record and uh, stuck around for the other one as well. And in amongst that, we recorded a session at Abbey Road of the strings and the brass and all sorts of stuff with Mike Batt, with a full orchestra in the big room at Abbey Road. And I think there's some film footage of me actually uh, conducting the brass section on Frivolous Tonight. Yes, I, I come from the Norman Wisdom School of Conducting, I think. Lots of sudden thrusting of, a, of the hand and, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, it seemed to turn out all right. And that's a song that's um, kind of harks back to a pre-rock and roll days. It's kind of more sort of light-hearted. Yeah, I think it's uh, probably from Noel Coward's era, I think. Mm. I was pretty enamoured with a... Um, with a song that he'd written called I've Been to a Marvellous Party. Oh, yeah. And he explains things, how, how rat-assed people become and and how do they do strange things to how they normally are. I play tennis at my local club, and it's quite interesting. Every time we have the yearly tennis club kind of do, the people you see on the tennis courts, how different they are when they've had a few drinks inside them. You know, <laughs> So um, that's parties for you. They... Uh, people become very liberated, don't they? Let us talk about some trivial things we like A bit of this and that Let's 
From um, Apple Venus Volume One, we had sort of Wasp Star, the, the second um, album in that period, which was a bit more uh, rockish, and you had some really good songs um, like In Another Life on there, and it, it kind of had a similar success, really, top forty UK, and sold quite well around the world. Well, I think the I think the first record actually did much better than the second. Right, the second was basically. They got divided up, and I think it was, this was one of the things that Dave disliked. He thought that we could have made one great album by mixing up the styles. There was the orchestral side of it, mm. and there was the, the rock guitar side of it, you know. And Andy said, oh, no, we, we've got to divide them into two camps and make two albums, you know. But I felt that a lot of the, the better stuff was in the, um, was in the orchestral uh, side of stuff, I don't think the second album was served best by being cut off from the other. Mm. Um, I think the the better, in my opinion, I thought the better songs were on the orchestral record. I think I've heard Andy say something to that effect. Yeah. Yeah, Dave certainly felt it, and I think that was one of the reasons why he left, because he felt no one was listening to him and and that we should be just making one record. But then we went off around the record promoting the first record, and Andy would say, yes, we've got another one coming up, people, in six months' time. We'll start recording the second one. And But I remember having a very difficult conversation with Andy over the phone to say, look, do you think we ought to take six months off and try and write some more, you know? Uh, but he was, we'd been around the world telling everybody that the album was almost here, you know? So we we used the material that we had, but I I think it's somewhat diminished for being cut off from the first project, really. But that's my opinion. There's a song that, that eventually got released in the, the Apple uh, box set, uh, which I think yourself, as, as as well as myself, think it's, it's one of your best tracks. And it was kind of a bit lost, really, and really should have really seen a, a, a bigger release on either an XTC album or prominent single, and that's Say It. Yes, yes. A lot of people have come forward and said that they felt that it was kind of tucked away and and what happened there? And I said, well, I think it would probably have ended up on the next XTC record had there been one, you know. 
I think the writing was on the wall then, and uh, I think the dynamic had changed between us. Dave was no longer around, so in a way, I think I became Andy's adversary, I think. Uh, two Englishmen, we didn't talk, really. I think if we'd have made it plain what, what our intentions were, and I really don't know whether it was his intention to even make a record. And it was when he came up with the idea that he was going to release his demos en masse, eight volumes of them, and I, and I didn't really want to be involved with that. So there was, there was a kind of a... His thoughts on the future didn't really coincide with my own, you know. So I had this... I had some songs, and I thought, blimey, this track say it's not going to be recorded by the look of it. So um, on the last knock-ins, we... We were going to put out some sort of, uh, it was Apple Byte, wasn't it? Basically a summary of the tracks from the two records, plus two bonus tracks. And one of those bonus tracks was Say It. I think Anders was Spiral. And we recorded them independently uh, with each other not being on each other's track. So it was all very White Album. Oh. Yeah, like the White Album. <laughs> They're very Beatles. Yeah, yeah very Beatles, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so the writing was really on the wall then, really. And I think that was the last thing, the last contribution that I ever made to an XTC, rec- to XTC record, you know. But yes, I think it deserved a better outing than what it got. And I don't even think that the recording was that great. But I was just relieved that it, it got out. It was out there, you know, mm. and it had been hanging around. And I think I was really beginning to believe that it would never be recorded. So I was just happy for it to be recorded in whatever state it got recorded in. did the ordinary people go that that came out a year or so before then yeah that had been hanging around a while and uh, we'd rehearsed it uh, with dave mattox strumming on nonsuch i remember the four of us kicking around with him you know and um i think uh, i'm not sure whether we did a backing track for it i, I think maybe it was deemed that, that it wasn't wasn't quite up to scratch and i did a little rewrite on it you know 
Well, we brought it back, I think, as a B-side of something. And in fact, I'm not quite sure what it ended up coming out on. But um, uh, we we redid it in Andy's shed, I think. But once again, it, it didn't really receive the beans that it should have got. Not recorded as I would have liked, but um, one had to uh, put up with the circumstances, really. heard a few interviews of Andy and he was he still hasn't he hasn't released a, a, a solo album and doesn't have a burning desire to release a, a solo album because he's kind of he felt that um it wouldn't necessarily match up where XTC ended up especially with sort of Apple Venus and wanted to finish on a high and I'm assuming that was kind of one of the reasons why he kind of lost interest in XTC and that he was kind of just wanting to do his songwriting and, and different projects and I guess in in, in terms of yourself he, if he's lost interest and... I think it became the elephant in the room, or it has become. Now, Terry and I have done this project. It's almost become the, the big elephant in the room because well, people are saying, well, where's where's yours then, Andy? You know, I don't know. It's, maybe it lacks a little bit of courage there, I think. Yeah, of course, XTC was a high pinnacle, but um, you can do a sidestep, can't you? You know. Uh, you know, I, I don't accept that as a, accept that as an explanation. I don't know, but then it, you know, it's it's what he wants to do. So whatever, you know, he says he has eight hundred songs or something, but are we never going to get to hear them except in demo form? Or seems a bit of a shame to me. But there you go. Before we uh, close on on, on to uh, TC and I. Um... It's interesting that you got involved in a number of, um, I don't know if you want to call them prog, prog rock projects and, and, and sang on some of the Pink Floyd and um, uh, Supertramp covers as well. How did that happen? Well, I think when the band split up, I moped around for a good couple of years, I have to say. I think I watched telly or videos for about two years, you know, like a divorce or something, you know. You can't move on to your next love until you've got somebody else out of your system. So it was a while before 
I did anything. And then I had a phone call from this chap in America, Billy Sherwood, who has gone on to play bass with Yes, a band Yes, after Chris Squire's um, untimely death. He was in-house producer at Cleopatra Records and heavily into prog rock and said that I wish to contribute, first of all, to a, a Pink Floyd tribute record. So I think I played bass on one track and sang on another, I think. Brain Damage, I think I remember was one. So from that point on, it became a sort of a regular occurrence whereby he'd asked me to contribute to certain things. There was a, a, a Super Tramp contribute record. And then he did a, a prog rock record of his own and produced a band called, oh, something to do with Station. Oh, was it um, In Extremis and... Oh, oh, it was by yeah. Days days Between Stations. Days Between Stations, yeah. that's right. Days Between Stations. Apparently, there was this guy, there's these couple of guys. One of them was very rich, apparently. He was the, in charge of the Los Angeles Cleansing Department. <laughs> and I'm not sure whether it was a vanity record or whatever, but he got involved with it and, was, uh, and had written this uh, track with this guy and said, would I sing it? This was um, The Man Who Died Two Times. And they'd got Jeff Downs, I think, from the Buggles to play on it as well. You know, various people. Uh, and he, on some of this prog rock stuff, I think even Rick Waitman's contributed stuff, you know. So you never get to see these people. You just send your contribution down the line. And that's it. It's all very impersonal, really.
the last one I did was um, Just Galileo and Me, uh, which I thought was a smashing song about um, 15th century kind of Renaissance kind of... Uh, you have Galileo and saying that the world is um, is not flat, it's round and, you know, going against what was the view of the time and looking up to the heavens and, you know, it was all very... I just enjoyed the track, and I thought, oh, yeah, I'd love to sing on this, you know. Yeah, so there's been a number of things that he put he's put my way, which have turned out really nice. Am I right to suggest that it um, really helped you get back into that sort of creative mould, in, into music, which then led you on into the, the songwriting and TC&I? Well, I think it possibly did, yeah. Yes, because um, I had no idea where I was going to go from here, you know. It's like being, um, like having a relationship, and then, then you, and all of a sudden, it's not there anymore. You know, after thirty odd years, you know, it was a long time. And you couldn't move on to your next love until you, until you've got it out of your system. You know, mm. but yeah, it brought me round. I think it revived me and gave me the kiss of life. I think. <laughs> so um, Terry gave me the kiss of life. I think. <laughs> what a thought that would be.
So from Prog to Terry to TCNA, um, can I can I um, ask you about uh, a greatness then? The Aspiration song. There's some nice little references to your parents and uh, Paul McCartney. Yeah, I um, well, I just think that the song is obviously about wanting to please your mum and dad and making them proud of you and all the rest of it. It's about aspiration itself, I think, and um, I think now we're sort of living in a land where everyone gets a prize, you know. It's even across the board, whereas I like my lords to be haughty. I like them to live down gravel drives in their ivory towers. It's something to strive for, and yeah. Like David Bowie. Yeah, like heroes or something, yeah. You can kick and scrape and you want to be up there with them, you know. That's what it's all about. You want them to be as high as they possibly can. And the last thing you want to hear is for people, you know, that exam results are getting more. Everybody's winning, you know. Everybody shouldn't be winning, you know. Yeah, I just think we're living in a land now where everyone gets a prize. And it's, I don't think it should be like that. I think should be, things should be made as hard as possible. Greatness is where I want to be.
before we uh, close with uh, Scatter Me, have you got any plans for, for TCNI? Is it kind of just take everything as it comes, one step at a time? Well, it is a bit. You know, we've done the done the EP, and um, I think because we've not signed to a record company and everything's been pretty much self-financed, we, we can do what we want. If we want to play one or two shows, then we might. Or we might mm. try and write some more or whatever it's there's just no plans at the moment you know we're not in that kind of on that merry-go-round anymore you know we can not that we'd want to be either you know we're we're no spring chickens we know it but you know we're just having fun really are you going to ask me about scatter me <laughs> i am because from a personal perspective i think that's um a really really great song and, and deserves to stand up with uh, any of your work and um as someone who's lost um a parent recently it does feel kind of touching and, and and really kind of chimes in with mortality but in in your own way colin it's in a positive yeah, way in your own in your own way it's got sort of a little bit of humor of sort of dark humor in there yeah yeah it's i wanted that sort of bittersweet thing i think the greatest songs, I think, have that element in them where they're kind of, they're a little bit jokey, but they're also serious as well. And if you see your favorite films, they've always got periods of melancholy, but they were, they're they also light as well, you know. And I wanted that sort of feeling in, in, in this song. It was the last of the tracks actually to be written. We had another song that we were going to put on the EP called Hope Is My Finest Virtue. We thought it wasn't really strong enough, so we scratched our heads and started jamming around whether we could come up with something together, and that wasn't working. So I went off and climbed into my cocoon and plugged in my laptop with a my little portable keyboard, and and over the Whitson holiday, came up with Scatter Me. Uh, we'd had a few bereavements in the family. Carol's mum, Carol, my wife's mother died. And so we had her ashes in the house. And then the year before that, both our, we had to have our Jack Russell dogs put down, two of them. And we had the, their ashes in the house. So the house was full of remains, you know. I go walking on the downs quite a bit between that area, between Wantage and Swindon, near the Vale of the White Horse. And uh, you'd come across, if you're walking, sometimes you'd come across... Uh, some flowers and a photograph uh, by some fence somewhere, and you know that someone's ashes have been scattered there, you know. I suppose all these things go into your subconscious and they come out somewhere, and um, obviously came out in me, but do you remember that old uh, song by McGuinness Flint, When I'm Dead and Gone? Yeah, yeah, that's a great song. And it said, I want to leave some happy woman living on, and I it was that as well, I think, that was playing on my mind as well. And I thought, well, that's a really good sentiment. If I could ever get that into a sentiment, into a song one day, then that, that, I'm sure that would be a winner, you know. But uh, maybe I have. Yeah, I think you have. And um, <laughs> I think it clearly shows that the um, the, the knack for, for, for songwriting and, and the lyrics and, and the melody are still well and truly there, Colin. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Or maybe I've peaked <laughs> and... It's downhill all the way no. from here. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's been such a, a huge uh, privilege to talk to you, Colin. Uh, and uh, I wish you all the best and continued success with the T- TCNI uh, EP. And I'm hoping that we get to hear uh, more songs soon and possibly the occasional uh, live show, possibly. Well, you never know. We'll, we'll, whatever will be, will be, I suppose. Uh, but... Uh, Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. My absolute pleasure. Thanks, Colin. Bye-bye. All right, Jason. Well, nice to talk to you. Scatter me far and wide Up in the hills where we walked Although the wind may blow cruelly Scatter me my one and only Scatter me where we lived Under your favourite rose 
Oh, 